Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazney Lambray. I'm joined today, as always, by my brother, comrade, the wonderful Nando Vila, who's still on vacation from yeah. the west side of Los Angeles in an undisclosed location. He's somewhere. There's bears, though. <laughs> Just know there's that. There's bears. <laughs> yeah. N- there's bears and no black people. It's oh, like yeah, those yeah, two yeah. things that don't go together. Right, right, yeah. right. Well, some people think black people are bears anyway, so <laughs> it's all good. Um, I would like to say what's up to our audience on YouTube. We're finally trying to get a little bit more consistent. We're rolling stuff out. We're going to roll stuff out for you guys, clips, shares, and all of that stuff for you guys because we want to be on YouTube. We want to engage the YouTube audience, specifically for people who are craving left-leaning you know, content. And that's what we do here. That's our bent. That's our slant. We don't pretend to be unbiased. We don't pretend to be fair. No, 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 no. We have an agenda here. Extremely unfair. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to rip everything that we are against and unapologetically so. But yeah, shouts to everybody on YouTube. Please make sure that you like, subscribe, put the notification um, on because, you know, the algorithm likes when you guys do that. 
they'll push us to other people who love this type of content. And you know how freaking YouTube works. You're on it all day like I am. So <laughs> welcome, YouTube audience. Um, of course, everybody who's listening to us on Apple, Spotify, and every other place you get your podcast. thank you for listening as always. On today's show... The right wing's plan for the future, like the guys that get to call themselves rising stars on the right wing, is very curious. Um, <laughs> this kid named Madison Cawthorn just won a seat. Oh, excuse me. He just won a, he just won a, um, a primary, primary in yeah. North Carolina. And um, it's just, there's just a curious amount of circumstances involved in that win and it's just really weird and i think it says a lot about the direction that the gop is headed of course you know david Sirotto wrote a piece in the jacobin about depression in you know being a democratic party member and just the depression of the state of the party um there's no unifying theme there's no propulsion it's essentially we're, we're selling being comatose. That's the that's the selling point of the Democratic Party right now. It's like we're not getting worse, yeah. um, and and how utterly depressing that is, and why you should have seen the writing of on the wall back in two thousand eight, two thousand twelve, and all of those other things. But first, the Democratic National Convention is going on this week. Uh, a host of Democratic Party luminaries. Like, decades-long Republican John Kasich, decades-long Republican Colin Powell, who's Jamaican, so he gets a certain amount of respect for me and love because he's a fellow West Indian cat. And, all right, cool, you a first-generation West Indian cat. I get that. But, dude, he is a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, conservative establishment, hawkish, neocon establishment cat. We get it. He's black. So he's like kind of liberal because just just by literally having black skin, people pretend that that pretends some type of liberalism. It's ridiculous. But yeah, luminaries. And, you know, we say this derisively on here, Nando, because, again, you can call us Bernie bros, Bernie Kratz, whatever you want. But I remember I'm old enough to remember when not being a Democrat was some type of strike against you. I would like, and, and, and again, not even like you can point to positions that this person takes that um, go against long held party principles, right? Not that you can do that, just that his name, his title isn't Democrat. You can't say that he's against working people, which the Democratic Party claims to care about. You can't say that he's against immigrants, he's against women, he's against all of these. Fake ass ideals that the party claims to be down with. You can't point to any of that, but it was a big ass deal when Bernie wasn't a Democrat. That was a thing that you heard in the mainstream media or the corporate media, whether it be The Times, whether it be um, MSNBC, CNN. He's not even a Democrat. We heard yeah. this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then... I have to sit here and watch these motherfuckers do a circle jerk because they got John Kasich to speak. <laughs> Anti-worker as it comes. Union busting piece of shit, John Kasich. Of course he's anti-choice. You know that already because God and Jesus doesn't want the, the D to touch the P. We know you can't, you can't <laughs> love choice, you know, because um, they just love the babies and the, and the cell membranes and all of that so much. And these guys are clapping it up. They love it. 
They, they love, love it. it. And we don't want to be the show that takes away from the enthusiasm that was able to be ginned up by Michelle Obama speaking. And let's face it, she's a great public speaker. Um, and she's tied to pretty much the only thing in the party that engenders any type of positive feeling. Pretty much the only reason Joe Biden is on the ticket. Uh, Michelle Obama is the wife of Barack Obama, the last this, the last guy to be elected as a Democratic president. He got two terms. He's still wildly popular amongst people who vote for Democrats. Um, and so, of course, of course, when she spoke, people felt uplifted by it, um, you know, the anti-Trump thing is, I don't know, like, I, I'm sorry, I, that doesn't get me stirred up. I Like, I, I'm already there. I've been there since 2015. I don't, I, I don't feel any differently than I already did. But I can understand the power of just reliving that message. But again, it's just... The, the 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 symbolism of this this Democratic National Convention, man, is it's not lost on me, dude. Like yeah. all of the stuff that like it, it matters that Mike Bloomberg is speaking, it matters yeah. that John Kasich is speaking. Like that's that that matters. That's saying something about the direction that the party wants to take things, and so people can get understandably can be excited about. Michelle Obama speaking and Bernie, of course, being matter of fact and on point. And even Andrew Wang had to give it up. Is it Andrew Wang or Andrew Yang? Andrew Excuse Yang. Me. Andrew Yang had to give it up. The Yang gang. Andrew Yang had to get, even give it up on Twitter. He's like, any, every time Bernie speaks, he's extremely clear about what it is he's trying to get y'all to understand. I mean, you can be excited about those things while understanding that. This process is kind of nasty. And that's before we even get into the Bill Clinton of it all. Like Hillary Clinton, I understand to a certain extent, even though, again, wildly unpopular. So you can't even tell me you're doing this for clout. Wildly unpopular person. But she's the last nominee of the party. Um, And she is was considered one of the standard bearers for the party. You got to show some type of deference and let her speak. Bill Clinton. I mean, I guess if we're going to let Bill Clinton speak, we might as well let Jimmy Carter get up there. You know what I'm saying? If the if it's just well, he was a Democrat that was a president, and he's still alive. Um, you know, it's just I don't know. It's just pretty depressing. But Nando, sorry, I've been droning on here. Please jump in. Not at all. I mean, I think that the the so there's two things going on here, um, and it's obviously like incredibly annoying to people like us that the Democratic Party would rather have. John Kasich have a prime speaking spot than say AOC or Rashida Tlaib or um, Heavens, Ilhan no, Omar. Not Ilhan Omar. Yeah, no. they had to put AOC because she's just too much of a big name. But they gave and her like popular. you know sixty seconds, uh, you know, on a pre-recorded thing. You know, they didn't even give her like a prime, a prime slot. But they'd rather give, like you said, anti-union, anti-worker asshole John Kasich uh, a speaking spot just because you know he also doesn't like Trump for whatever Where's reason. Where's Sherrod Brown at? Yeah, we're Sherrod Brown. Is he on you know, the list? I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I should so. probably look that up. But I'm just saying, like, these are the motherfuckers I would like to hear from. Yeah. And and so, and, and obviously, like, Mike Bloomberg, it's just insulting that as we're seeing all these protests erupt uh, over police brutality that you're putting the stop and frisk guy um, up front and center at the at the top of the party. And so that's, like, incredibly annoying and grotesque on sort of a superficial level, obviously, but on a more deeply structural level, the rise, the, the, fa- the fastest growing 
voter base that the Democratic Party has is rich suburban Republicans who don't like Trump. That's who came out to vote in waves in 2018. That's who the party is self-consciously courting. They would rather have those voters in their party tent than the young, um, precariously employed uh, black kid, you know, who who is like struggling to make ends meet. You know what I mean? Um, that's they'd rather have the suburban. Uh, four-bedroom, 6,500-square-foot uh, McMansion uh, guy who just thinks that Trump is gauche and, uh, you know, uh, not a real billionaire or whatever, um, then – and, and that this, this plays out in the data. Like, that was the people that came out to vote for Biden. Tons, you know, and, and, and it's like we've underrated the effect of the Republican Party not having an open primary on the Democratic primary because it allowed a lot of Republicans who don't like Trump – to sort of weigh in on the Democratic Party. And if you look at the numbers on some of these counties that are rich counties, it's like the turnout increased for the Democratic primary vote. The turnout increased by like 70%, 100% in some cases. These are all former Republicans flocking to the Democratic Party, but maintaining all of their obviously like, you know, right-wing views on things like healthcare and taxes and, and all that. It, there was not a uh, a groundswell of people coming from um, the lower classes, uh, the working class, the young. That stayed flat compared to 2016. The increased turnout came from rich suburbanites. And that's who they're courting. That's who they're courting with things like the Lincoln Project. That's who they're courting by having Mike Bloomberg and John Kasich speak at the, at the DNC. And that's who they're courting by having guys like Colin Powell. And like someone made a joke on Twitter, that was hilarious. It was like, you know, people think uh, these Democratic uh, Party hacks think that um, right wing people in the United States care about Colin Powell anymore. Like they don't give a shit about Colin Powell. Like they, we're going to talk about it with, with this Madison Cawthorn guy, but they've got way more like they think right. Colin Powell is like a liberal cuck at this point. Yeah, yeah. Even though exactly. Colin Powell was uh, it's underrated how important he was in selling the Iraq war to the I American mean, public. The, 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 so at that time in history, like the guy's record publicly, his Q rating was unassailable. Oh, yeah. Like the credibility, he was the, like, if you look at oh, yeah. credibility in the um, English dictionary, so many liberals said, like, Colin I trust Colin Powell. Yeah, so yes. many liberals were like, you know, I don't, I don't trust Bush or Cheney or these psychopaths, but like, if but Colin shit, Powell's Colin on Powell, board, man, that's a yeah. serious cat. I gotta believe yeah. Colin Powell. And not and just, he not just liberals here. Yeah, not and not just liberals here, but like you know, his speech at the UN, you know, had a huge effect on the international community because again, he had so much prestige and so much credibility. Like you said, his Q rating was off the charts. So like underrated in terms of like you know the amount of blood on his hands over the uh, the crime, the historic crime that was the Iraq War. Um, so yeah, I mean that's the party. That's the party that we ha that we are forced to vote for, right? I mean because like you know what are we going to do? We're not going to vote third party. We're not going to vote for the Republicans. We're vote forced to vote for this awful decrepit party that does not give a shit about you. They care more about the uh, jet ski owning uh, suburbanite than than you. That's that's who they want to court. They don't care. If, they don't give a shit about you. They, they'd rather like, you know, they'll give you 60 seconds um, with an AOC pre-tape pre speech, but they won't give you any sort of prime spot within the party establishment. Yeah. And, you know, we got to we always have to um, acknowledge the strategy, right? There are people who are doing well in this country 
who mm-hmm. like the Democratic Party for all the things that Nando just said. It's like they're not gauche. They won't call a gay person the F word in public. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they won't call coronavirus the China virus, right? Like, it's like my life is straight. And we have to keep making this point so that people understand that, like, what they're doing is not actually a losing strategy in the short term. Yeah. In the near term, it works. Um, the, you, because what you're delivering to people is this momentary sort of endorphin hit of, oh, I get to relax now. I get to have, quote unquote, serious people running the party. And, you know, things that you and I might care about, which is reining in these fucking cowboys on Wall Street. Right. Yeah. Um, reining in the freaking um, oligarchy's class influence on politics raining this stuff and they don't really care about that it's like what nando just said they're cush their lives are pretty cushy they live in the suburbs they're not worried about crime they're not worried about Mm. jobs they're not worried about education they're not it's like Mm. i just want to have a peace of mind knowing that my 401k is probably going to be straight you know what i'm saying and and, someone competent is at the head of the thing yeah they're more or less kind of running yeah Set it and forget it. That's that's yeah. what they're interested in. And guess what? Those views, again, I hate to be redundant on this show, but those views perfectly align and interweave with the views and the objectives of the party's establishment. The party yes. leadership who basically takes their marching orders from the lobbyist class in K- on K Street and the corporate class on the boards and all of that who are the, who are huge donors that's uh, that's who they take their cues from so it's like we have a, a voter base who want who couldn't give a shit if we actually actually um executed the objectives of the lobbyist class and the corporate class so like of course we want to court them put them front and center and like the things that they like shit like colin powell yes give it to them let's do that um and so again i understand the strategy nando just mentioned in 18 and the primaries like these guys these guys came out for the Democrats, they basically was like, yo, I can't even do this right. Like, I can't even pretend to be like, oh, I'm just fiscally responsible. Like, mm. I can't even pre- pretend to be about that. I can just support somebody who's seen as a centrist dem and, and, and keep it pushing. Which leads me to my next thing, Nando. Um, like, you, like I mentioned at the top of the show, David Sirota wrote in The Jacobin. And the name of the piece is called, the title, excuse me, is It's Fine to Feel Like Shit About Joe Biden and the DNC. And he does a thorough, thorough, thorough examination about some real talk that I don't think we do enough. We certainly don't do enough soul searching within the party about the Obama years and what it actually meant, right? Like what it actually meant for him to stump for Larry Summers, what it actually meant to appoint Timothy Geithner, right? What it actually meant to let Wall Street completely skate on the clear and utter fraud and crime that brought down a world economy. People's lives were ruined by this. Irreparable harm caused. And he completely let them skate. And again, people people can say what they want about Obamacare. They scuttlebutted the public option. 
when they could have probably, if they really went as hard as they could, got it through because they just wanted to suck up to the private insurance um, um, industries. Um, and again, this is this is the legacy of it all. And I thought it was interesting. He had a nice little nugget. That, again, it's something that you have to come to grips with if you're somebody like us who cares about the party, who cares about the direction that is going. It's like, yo, everybody's yes queening Michelle Obama on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever, as she sends this message from what he calls a castle on Martha's Vineyard, right? And you have to square these two things that the Obamas are now extremely rich people. That's just who they are. They're not these South Side of Chicago people no more. That's done. They are now part of the uber rich, the uber aristocratic people. They, they just are now, right? And you have to come to terms with how do we achieve ends for normal people when our leaders are the aristocratic, aristocracy of the of the fucking country aristocracy excuse me take that out rob i want to sound smart (laughs) our leaders are literally the aristocracy of the country like these people literally have a crib on martha's vineyard um and and so it's just i'm sorry it is depressing it's depressing to know that the party's platform the tickets platform is we're not going to touch anything we're not going to do anything we are just going to not be trump we are the party that is not trump that's it wall street literally joe biden word for word quote said to his wall street donors quote nothing would fundamentally change this is in june of 2019 at a fundraiser with wall street donors joe biden literally said he's giving the game away he's telling you i don't want to I don't want to hurt. I don't want to um, fix anything over there. They're doing great. They're doing great getting to be cowboys on Wall Street and then get bailed out by the Fed to the tune of $4 trillion. Trillion dollars. They're so smart. They're so this. They're so that. They're the, they're the um, masters of the universe. But they need four, $4 trillion in, in government welfare. And Joe Biden's like, that is great. That's America working. That's Joe Biden's message to the country, to the party, to us. Yeah. And so how you cannot be depressed by that? Holy moly, man. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, Sirota's point is is an absolutely 100% true one in that it's not enough to just stop the most insane version of the right. You need to change the conditions which led to the most insane version of the right from coming to power in the first place. And like the money quote is when he goes, if the 2009 capitulations of a new democratic president, his party and liberal groups in Washington, meaning like Obama's capitulation to Wall Street and all that stuff after the financial crisis, become the 2021 capitulations of a new democratic president, today's party and liberal groups, then what is to prevent 2024 from ending up like 2016? Only with President Tom Cotton, you know, and that's that's 100% true that like liberals have never really wanted to do a reckoning with their own role in allowing for Trump to take power, right, which is why they've spent four years trying to blame the Russians or trying to blame 
Bernie or whomever, like anyone but themselves, because they don't want to reckon with their own complicit nature in in the rise of Trump. Meaning that if you create the sort of conditions in the society in which people are alienated from politics, you will allow for an insane right wing president to take power. That is just a fact. It happens here. It's happened elsewhere. It's happened <laughs> in the past, and it will happen in the future. So. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those situations where, like, obviously, like you want to stop Trump, like you that's that's just obviously, and she goes without saying, you know, like you you want to stop Trump, but you need to figure out a way to stop him in a way that doesn't allow for him or a version of him to come back in the future. And it is insane that we are living through a pandemic, we are living through the greatest economic crisis in capitalism's history, probably. And we have no idea what the main nominee for the, the nominee for the Democratic Party wants to do has to address to say, it. <laughs> yeah, has to say about any of this shit, you know, like he doesn't support Medicare for all. He just supports more or less what kind of exists now. He doesn't. Do, do we know if he supports like, you know, uh, $2,000 checks for everyone uh, for the months that the coronavirus? No. Um, what are what is he what is he doing to stop uh, evictions and foreclosures? Nothing. You know, like we none of this stuff. All all they're talking about is like we need to unify. Trump is bad. And that's it. Nothing else. You know, we don't know about any of like any of the actual concrete things that these people care about in any meaningful way. So that's just it's a reality that we have to sort of deal with is just how do we fight the contradictions of this two party system in which the quote unquote good party is actively hostile to our interests and made up of a coalition of people in which the people who have power within that coalition are actively hostile to our interests. It's a tough call. It's a tough question. I mean, I don't believe in the third party solution. I think that there are structural problems in the American system that prevent a third party solution. What are you going to do? You can't change that. You know, like the, the only hope is to figure out some sort of way to wrangle the Democratic Party away from these awful people, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that's the only shot we got. So when people say, like, don't criticize Democrats because it's, I don't know, morally wrong or going to help Trump or whatever. No, like our only hope is to criticize Democrats and to, to steal essentially the party from them. Um, because we need that vehicle to sort of actually take state power to actually change things in any meaningful way, because the current version of the Democratic party will not do that period. Right. And so I, I think it's important to circle back a few weeks ago, we talked about, um, the ineffectiveness of a message of white privilege and telling broke white people that <laughs> they're broke because they ain't shit. They had a bunch of privilege they could have used and they was just yeah. too stupid to tap into it, right? Yeah. Um, and I, we talked about having a winning message. And what we're talking about today would seem to be in contradiction of that, right? Condemning the Dems for doing what's going to win right now. But that's not what I'm trying to say. In 2007 and 2008... The idea of universal health care was a winning message. Yeah. We came out and delivered some shit that people could look at and say, I mean, was this really that good? What did fucking yeah. do? How about a winning message and then actually delivering upon something that people will love and appreciate and engender and it will engender goodwill within those people for the party that delivered those ends for them. That's what we're talking about. Right. It's yeah. not enough to just win. You have to win on something. 
that people get excited about. And you have to deliver this shit for them, right? Yeah. You have to fight to deliver it for them because they're like, yo, damn, the Dems gave it to me. Damn, the Dems. Yo, my daughter was about to have to take out 30 Gs and loans for college um, every single semester. The Dems were like, nah, fuck that. Public tuition is free now. Shit, man, that, that really helped. You have to deliver stuff for them. We say that shit all the time, but you have to deliver outcomes for people. And then another thing I just want to address, and, you know, I just feel like it's important to address because I think there are even people who listen to this show who still have very warm feelings for Barry. Um, and I, I w I'm somebody who still has warm feelings for Barry. But mm -hmm. let's just face it. Let's just face the truth about Barry. He's not some activist. He's not some left-wing theorist. He's not some working man, every man. He is straight up <laughs> from the elite class. And, mm -hmm. and we need to make to give people definitions for this. Like Larry Summers and Geithner and um, a bunch of... A bunch of the people that Barry empowered in his administration are from Harvard, Yale, all of these Ivy League institutions. This is where they go to be bred to become our overlords. Barry is from those institutions. He sought those institutions out specifically so that he could be around those people. And the nature of those institutions that I think people... Um, underrate this, and I think Chris Hayes, who's a you know, a lot of people have a problem with his show or whatever, but the guy is a damn good reporter. And in his book, Twilight of the Elites, he talked about the self perpetuating nature of the elite class in the sense that Barry gets in the office and he wants to solve the financial crisis, and so. People like me and you are like, why the fuck would we get Wall Street people to solve it? But he's like, no, 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 I went to school with these cats. These are problem solvers. Of course we're going to get Wall Street people to solve Wall Street problems because they're the smartest people about Wall Street, right? And plus they went to my schools. We're the smartest people about everything. And that's him to his core. He is just firmly... One of the elites, man. In fact, and, and I've, we've said this on this show before, he's the first elite liberal president since John F. Kennedy. You know what I'm saying? Like, Bill Clinton had to slum it in fucking Georgetown. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Obama is literally that. And so whatever your feelings may be about him, you know, the word elites on the right is so stupid. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It's nah, basically yeah. like if you speak proper English and have read a book or two, you're elite. But like the true definition of the term, like he's from the institutions that literally is a factory for pumping out our overlords. Yeah. That's who he is. No matter how much you love Barry, how great you, how great it made you feel that day in 2008 when they let a half black dude become president of the United States, right? Like no matter how that makes you feel you need to always fundamentally remember remember who barry is where he's from the people he feels most connected to and it's obvious by the people he empowered and i keep bringing up geithner and summers for a reason because that was the singular issue of his 
entire tenure as president. It was the financial collapse, the bailout, the recovery, all of these things. And he fought tooth and nail for Geithner. He went and stumped for freaking Summers at the House and the Senate because there was a group of Democrats who was like, bro, we don't need no damn Larry Summers, do we? And he fought for Larry Summers, right? And what you need to rem- what you need to know about Timothy Geithner is after he basically, my lord, he he took care of Wall Street in in his position. He did everything for them, made sure they landed on their feet, boy. In fact, better than ever. After he quit his job that our president Barack Obama appointed him to, he started some freaking hedge fund and got six hundred million dollars for it. From J.P. Morgan Chase, six hundred million dollars as soon as he left the Treasury for his hedge fund. Can you like this is this is just, like I'm not even conspiracy theory. This is just one, two, three for you guys, step by step. This is what happened. This is who's responsible for, and these are, are the leaders of our party. And so you know, it's just something people need to think about. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, with Barack Obama, you have to look at the political effects of his presidency, which was to lead to the presidency of Trump. You know, in some way, you know, like had he been a better president, Trump wouldn't be president. I mean, Trump is in the freaking so, in president. In some ways, yes, facts. Yeah, and and then the other thing that you have to, to reckon with is that since he became president, the two main political acts that Barack Obama has done have been to destroy a left wing insurgency within the Democratic Party. He has weighed in two times um, in Democratic Party politics. The first was to block Keith Ellison from becoming the head of the DNC mm-hmm. and installing Tom Perez, even though Keith Ellison had all the head of steam, had all the you know popular appeal, had all the you know had wrapped up a ton of endorsements, including Chuck Schumer. Um, shockingly, Barack Obama stepped in, blocked it, and put in Tom Perez to lead the party. Second thing that he did politically was to. Basically, call Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar and say, "Drop out of the race um, right now to stop Bernie." You know, and cons- throw, get behind Biden and shut up. And, and we got did. you we, in the future. <laughs> yeah, we got, obviously, obviously, something in return. Yeah. Um, you know, Pete Buttigieg knows he doesn't have a future in the party without, um, you know, without some sort of path to national politics. So, so he played ball, and so that's what he did. Obama did those two things to. Punch left were the two main political things he's done since he became president, as well as since he left the presidency. So that's just the reality of, of who the guy is. You know, he's not on your team anymore, <laughs> so to speak. If he ever was on your team, he's definitely not on your team now. So, yeah. And there you have it. And so we move on from the depression of the Democratic Party to, man, um, <laughs> I think about our just depression, which is, you know, at least in, as Ted goes crazy because the mail lady does her job and delivers the mail. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, disrespecting the USPS, but y'all love y'all dogs, though. Yeah. Um, and, and so, no, and so I think about the Steve Kings, not the Steve Kings, excuse me, Steve Schmidt or you know, um, or Rick Wilson's. Yeah. Or any of these sort of homeless Republican people, David Frum's, um, the disillusioned, the never Trump, the never Trump Republicans who are now 100%. Democrats and on behind Joe Biden. Yeah, one hundred percent. The disillusion they have with the party, right? Um, just like, wow, it's <laughs> this sucks. And part of me is like, man, like they're right. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, of course, it's partly their fault. Of course, they absolutely been playing footsie. The Republican Party establishment has been playing footsie with the absolute craziest people in America for essentially since the Nixon administration, right? Um, and, and most people would say it traces back to the Goldwater campaign. But, like, they made this bed and now have to lay in it. And it's pretty freaking horrible. And I think... This kid, freaking Madison Cawthorn, who won a primary race in North Carolina in a right-leaning district, which, mm-hmm. you know, for those of you who don't know, right-meaning just means the polls are saying these guys are probably going to, um, this seat is probably going to go to a Republican most of the time. Um, yes. The background of this kid is very dubious, right? He gets an internship. Um, and and basically from that internship is able to parlay that into, <laughs> excuse me, not an internship. He gets a job as a receptionist. Sorry. He gets a job as a receptionist and that job is able to essentially propel him somehow to representative in the fucking United States Congress, bro. Like this is a kid who has no college degree. No, basically no employment background, nothing. He's just a kid. He's a face who was able to pop up and win a a Republican House seat primary. And we know you can only do that by having a certain amount of money and somebody is backing him. Whoever it is, we don't know. I'm sure that'll come out at some point. But one of these Cokes or the Mercers or one of these shadowy ultra right wing rich people and they're you know they always build up these shell corporations and fake ass think tanks to they pump money into them and figure out ways how to infiltrate stuff um somebody's backing them but you know Jezebel did an did an did an article basically looking into the kid like who is this person and they basically find that he's probably circumstantial evidence is pointing towards him being part of the alt-right, basically being a white nationalist, you know, sort of American militia type of cat. Um, And this guy's going to be in the United States House of Representatives. I mean, my goodness, James Madison must be spinning in his grave right now. Um, But it's just fascinating to see the direction. This is the future of the party. This kid is 24 years old. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this is the, the youngest congressman of the ever. GOP, bro. He's going to be the youngest congressman ever. Um, and what did he do to achieve it, Nando? Nothing. But uh, <laughs> so the it's interesting on many levels. So on one level, like this guy, you know, who the hell is this guy to become a, a <laughs> congressman? He, he he never really had a job. Uh, it's unclear where this money comes from. Uh, you know, he's definitely like a raging white supremacists and all that stuff. But the, the you know, the, the broader point that um, Alex Perrine makes in the New Republic on on the future of the Republican Party is that it's going to have to get more explicitly racist. Um, that basically what it used to be was that the leadership of the party wasn't like these kind of frothing at the mouth, insane no. racists. They just needed to They were kind Bob of, Dole, bro. Yeah, they were Bob Dole's, H.W. <laughs> Bush's. They were aristocrats who were very polite and very clean cut and all that stuff. And, you know, they would signal racist. They, that, that was like the whole famous dog whistle thing. They would signal racist to a, a group of people. And that's how they kind of um, maintain some of their electoral base. 
What's ended up happening is that um, now some of those people who were receiving end of the dog whistle have taken over the party and have become um, have become the, the leadership of the party. Like, I mean, they believe all the shit that the leadership party used to not really believe in, but they would tolerate as, because as, it was effective. As Chuck, as Chuck Pierce would always say, these are the people who ate the monkey brains. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, um, it used to be that like Republican Party establishment leaders would read the Wall Street Journal while Republican voters watch Fox News. Now the Republican Party leadership watches Fox News and they believe all that shit. Some of them now are even graduating to that OANN uh, network, which is like a more insane version of Fox News. So and then the other thing, the other structural force that's going on is that Republicans uh, have essentially lost an entire generation, the, meaning the millennial generation, right? The millennial generation kind of came of age in the post 9-11 world, which was run by Republicans. And it was just a series of calamities after the other, whether it was 9-11 the Iraq war, uh, Katrina, the financial crisis, all that stuff. Like there is just no, there is no political base for them because the Republican party has given them nothing. Right. So that the, the small, the small sliver of millennials that do remain Republican are the ones that are just like overtly and, uh, avowedly racist. Right. I mean, if you look at the numbers, the percentage of millennials that vote Republican or self ideas, Republican is something like 20%, you know, um, it's just an incredibly small proportion of that entire generation. So their only effective outreach strategy toward young people is this kind of online, extreme white supremacist way of doing politics that's kind of like, you know, involved with all these like myriad in-jokes and and um, kind of obscure white supremacist shit. And and that's that's really what like eventually those people were going to are going to be running the party. And like this guy, Madison Cawthorn, is just the the first example of that, like the first guy who is making it across the finish line. But there are going to be many, many more Madison Cawthorns. Uh, coming up behind him. That's just and part the reality. Of it is, and part of it is that they know how to, they figured out how to manipulate the system. They figured out how to talk to the crazies on the alt-right while presenting in such a respectable manner that CNN will throw you on and be like, yeah, he's a real estate investor at 24. Yeah. <laughs> he's an investor. He's not yeah, he even a he realtor. Made- he says he made a lot of his money on on the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> He's 24. Yeah. Like I'm sorry, even like for even if you're one of these douchebags fresh out of Harvard Business School by 24, you, they they ain't let you into the inside of trading networks yet. <laughs> like I'm sorry, you can't even if you're one of those people who's on the fast track to Goldman, you won't be there by 24 years old. So this idea that you just made money on stocks is like no 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 no. That's just <laughs> that's not how that works. That's not how that world works. So it's just it's so clearly bullshit and made up and you know, he he fucking won. <laughs> yeah, he fucking won. And and again, like they know how to present in such a way that NPR won't just say, "Oh, nah, this kid is like actually like Hitler like again." Insane. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like he's a yeah. Hitler adherist. Like no, NPR's like, no, he's just a really staunchly conservative cat. Just really who believes in American values. Yeah, American yeah. values. Right. Shut up. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, it's 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 crazy because it is absolutely going to happen that way. As Nando mentioned, there's going to be more of these type of cats who can speak to both to both worlds, which is present in such a way that the mainstream corporate media is like, all right, this is just the run of the mill Republican, and absolutely, absolutely signal to the far right fringes who you know they're basically not fringes anymore. They used to be so. They're fringes within the country, but within the party, they're not the fringe. They yeah. are part of the core yeah. <laughs> of the, the, the Republican Party. They, you can't call them fringe anymore. This is just no. part of who, who they are. Yes, this is part of the heartbeat of the party um, They in, in such a way that they move politicians, lawmakers to make decisions that will appease them. Like they have influence, you know, and this guy and these type of people know how to speak directly to them and directly to CNN. And so it's, it's crazy to see that dual sort of action working. But yeah, as you said, they can't win with this. This is like those suburban voters who love Biden. They can't get behind American patriots and absolutism on the Second Amendment and all of that. Like you can't get no nice suburban people to back that, you know, even if they're like, "Eh, you know what we could really do without a few more Mexicans. I mean, you know, (laughs) like even if you can get them to back that type of stuff, you can't get them to back some of the crazy shit that these people are on. And so this is a losing message. And again, suburban white people was the core of Republicanism. It used to be. It used to be the freaking cornerstone foundation of Republicanism. What they hung their hat on is like we represent people who have achieved in this country. White suburbanites, college educated, people who are upwardly mobile and achieved. This is the party of winners. Yeah. They are not that anymore. Yeah. Yeah, which is why they have to uh, support all manner of anti democratic uh, measures to ensure they stay in power. I mean, the Senate is hugely anti democratic. Obviously, you know, it overrepresents Republicans dramatically. Um, that's why they're that's why they're uh, attacking people's right to vote. Um, <laughs> That's why they're, you know, at the state senate level, they're it's doing all kinds of shenanigans. I mean, that's uh, yeah. I mean, but it's smart. It's what they should be doing. Obviously, you know, like they they should be able they they want to be able to set it up in a way where they can govern from a minority, um, and the Democrats just don't do the opposite. They don't ensure the power structures of um, the system uh, give them power, actual power. I mean, it's just so yeah. It's it's. Um, it's a depressing little little snapshot. This this Madison Cawthorn guy, um, yeah, he's going to be a nice little pr- psychopath in in <laughs> in uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives. It's absolutely depressing what's happening in the Democratic Party. But the only silver lining is this: is like, holy shit, the GOP is a mess. Yeah, it's nasty, man. I mean, Even- Laura Loomer won a primary. Uh, you know, there's like there's something like twelve twenty QAnon. Uh, um, candidates like doing well in, in Republican primaries. I mean, it's just, that's just what it was inevitable. It was, was going to happen. Yeah. And, and I, I know this because I happened to date somebody who's related to like a trillion Trump supporters. And she always <laughs> makes a point to bring this shit up with these people, even though we're having nice family dinners. And I've noticed the rhetoric has shifted from, Hey man, did you see Trump do this? Hey man, did you see Trump do that? To Yo, Joe Biden said some racist shit the other day. <laughs> I'm just like, yo, even they're seeing it. They're even yeah. seeing it like, man, this shit is, this is, this, 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 this shit about to be sinking. Um, yeah. 
And so at least that's there's that silver lining there. Anyway, that's our show for, for today. Thank you, everybody on YouTube, man, for checking us out. We're going to be more consistent. We're going to kill it for you guys. I promise, yeah. man. I'm going to be uh, a remember- YouTube star. We're going to be YouTube stars. We're going to be, yeah. you know, we're going to be pushing dick pills in no time to you guys. Hell yeah. Don't worry Hell yeah. about it. Um, thank you again to all the patrons of Count the Dings. Thank you for everybody. Subscribe, listen, tell a friend to tell a friend. Um, of course, you know, left is, left is best. Rest in peace to our brother, Michael Brooks. We'll see you guys next week. We're out of here.